Beware of the blob, it creeps and leaps and glides and slides across the floor Right through the door and all around the wall A splotch, a blotch, be careful of the blob Beware of the blob, it creeps Welcome to the Swapflix Podcast, my name is Brandon Day. I'm Brittany Lombos I'm James Cohn And I'm Hannah Rassen And we are recording in James and Hannah's apartment in mid-city New Orleans This is the podcast version of the movie review website Swapflix I made a major boo-boo from like a lesson I should have learned a long time ago back from early episodes of this. I did way too much prep for this episode. Uh, <laughs> Brittany picked um, movie remakes as our main topic. And you watched all the originals? I watched the originals as well. I've seen nine <laughs> films in the past two <laughs> oh weeks. Right, I was about to say, but some of these have multiple. Yeah. Yeah. The one I liked the least had the most remake, had the most original versions. I know exactly versions. which one that is. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> So my brain's a little overloaded, uh, okay. but hopefully it won't be like that Evil Dolls episode where I'm scrambling all over the place. Well, you're definitely going to be the go-to guy for, because a lot of these I was saying like, I wonder how this compares to the original. So you'll be the guy right. for that. If I can remember any details from anything, I'm happy to be a service. <laughs> I think right. there's like one original that I didn't see. Oh. Really? Oh. I didn't see any of the originals. Nope. Of these so you're films. fresh. You're actually like judging these on their own merit, which is probably for the Ooh, best. Yeah, True. Oh, so I have. Okay. We all have kind of a different perspective. <laughs> yeah, that's the same for me. So yeah, this podcast for me is just four movies. Great. Yeah. <laughs> that's probably what it should have been for everybody. <laughs> I messed up. Well, what else have y'all been watching besides movie remakes for the past couple of weeks? I watched Miss Harris Goes to Paris last yes. night. Oh. And. It's probably like one of the best movies that came out in 2022. Oh my God. I love this movie so much. It felt a lot like Paddington 2, but with a focus on like fashion, which kind of like Phantom Thread like. With one of the stars of Phantom Thread. With the star. Yeah. So it was just such a feel good movie that I didn't expect to like totally get into. Um, But I'm a huge Miss Harris, Goes to Paris fan right now. It. Basically follows Miss Harris. She uh, goes to Paris. And that's all that Just kidding. So she's, um, it's like 1957 London. And she's like a, a housekeeper. And all of her clients, like, I mean, some are worse to her than others. But they kind of just don't like notice her as a human being. Like she's always viewed as like this, you know, magical cleaning lady. And she's cleaning one of her clients homes and she sees this dress and like the way the cinematography is with like the fashion in this movie is amazing mm-hmm. but this dress has its own like scene and she is just like wide-eyed and obsessed and it's a, a christian dior gown and she finds out that you know you can only get these in paris and she like her new like goal or her dream becomes like i need to go to paris and get a Christian Dior gown, whatever that means. Like she's like, she has no idea, like, you know, how big Dior is and how the clientele are, whatever. She's like, this is just what I want to do. So she goes through like this roller coaster of good luck and bad luck, where she kind of makes a lot of money, loses a lot of money, and a lot of things get discovered in this process. But she does get to go to Paris. And she's like, okay, it's just a shop. I could walk in and be like, hey, I want this dress. I have 500 pounds. I'm ready to buy. And um, Isabelle Huppert is there. And she's this total bitch. And it's awesome. She's like the director at the Dior. Because at this time, like Dior is just like couture. It's not like, you know, mass made for everyone. It's this one 
one shop in Paris that Mr. Dior works at and he designs. It's like Phantom Thread. Like there's a house and people come in to see like a fashion show. Exactly. And you buy it off the model. Exactly. You write your number down and um she but she didn't know any of this, so she goes there and she's like, All right. Um everyone treats her like trash a little bit, but she um finds her way to the show, writes down the number of the dress she wants, and um some woman is a high society French woman's very pissed off that they let her in and seated her Miss Harris next to her. So she like purposefully gets the dress Miss Harris wants no. and is like, I want no one else to have this dress and I'm buying it. Bye. So then she has to go to the, the one she likes the second most. And then she realizes that it's a two week process for them to fit her and make this for her. So then she has to stay in Paris for two weeks. So there's these lovely shots of her going throughout like 1950s Paris. And then she kind of wins. She's very authentic and she wins the hearts of like all the folks who like design for Dior and even like their accountant, like everyone just like falls in love with her. And some things happen when she goes back to London. So I don't want to spoil the ending for anyone but it's very um emotional it's very uplifting and it's just like a really nice beautiful movie i i'm pretty sure the the miss harris goes to paris fans are probably like 60 plus and me but i think it's worth watching i heard it's also like super pro union which is cool Ooh. oh yeah you're yes so yes whenever she's in paris they're having the big strike they're having like all these huge strikes for sanitation workers there's piles of trash everywhere which was interesting because the same thing happened when i went to paris there was just like piles of garbage everywhere and it's like fuck yeah trash <laughs> um you know strike but something similar happens like she kind of pushes all the the folks at Dior to do something like that, which is kind of cool. So, yeah. One more thing I heard that was interesting yes. is that this is also kind of a remake because there's another adaptation of the same book with Angela Lansbury in the early 90s. Amazing. <laughs> You're shitting. So, shitting I think me. you would enjoy that, too. I love Angela Lansbury. Yeah. I have been, like, so obsessed with Murder, She Wrote. You and Boomer both. Boomer brought it up the other day. Really? Recording, yeah. <gasps> I didn't know. Now I have um, some homework to do. Yeah. So. Do y'all know Angela Lansbury has like a workout video? Um, what? Oh, it's like the self-help one where yeah, she like yeah, masturbates yeah. in the bathtub. Yeah, and she's like massaging herself with oils and a little towel. I just watched the uh, Everything is Terrible movie the other day, mm-hmm. and they played just the clips of her like jerking it in the bathtub. <laughs> How? Wait, when was this made? The uh, 90s. Yeah, yeah. Oh, so this was like her Jessica Fletcher murder she wrote like... Same soft lighting, too, but she's treating herself nice. She is. And she's telling you to treat yourself nice. But that's kind of the the highlight of of everything I've been watching that just, you know, I wanted to talk about. So, yeah, Lahana, what have you been watching? So I've been um, still on my Criterion Challenge grind. And one of the criteria was to watch a film that was released the year you were born. um, And Menace to Society was released the year I was born. Nice. So um, that was 1993. It was uh, directed by Alan and Albert Hughes, the Hughes brothers, um, and it is a story about Kane, who lives um, in the inner city in California, I believe, in Compton. Um, he uh, turns 18, he graduates from high school, and he's kind of involved in the gang in his community, and he has a friend, Ronnie, who's played by Jada Pinkett Smith, who is like trying to get him out to move to Atlanta, I think. So there are various people in his life that are trying to like get him out of the life that he's involved in. And then other people that are kind of like sucking him back in. And he is a pretty 
like complicated person. He, you know, he hurts people. He, um, he's obviously involved in like in the gang shit that's happening, but he also doesn't really like, he doesn't have a better model for living in the community he lives in. So, uh, I think this is like closely tied with boys in the hood. Also, I have never seen boys in the hood. Um, but this film was, uh, extremely brutal and also, I think the thing that surprised me the most was that it was very artfully shot. There are some like really beautiful like one shot takes. Like there is this scene at a party where there is like tension between Kane and this guy that's hitting on Ronnie, who he has like a thing with, and um, he starts beating this guy up in the middle of the party and then Ronnie's son runs out and the camera is like panning across the um the room of the house like it's like almost like an open exposed dollhouse and it's kind of like dragging you through like in slow motion as this like violence is unfolding um can i spoil the ending of this i mean it I came mean, out i don't i think <laughs> it's i mean it's pretty clear what the story yeah so safe to say what happens so the the story begins when he's 18 and it ends with kane dying and like the thing that really struck me at the end was like how short his life is and how short the lives of his friends are like throughout the movie his friends and his relatives are just like getting gunned down in the street like in in totally brutal fashion and it, I think his last monologue is like, you know, I never, I never realized that I like I wanted to, I wanted to hold on to life until it was too late. And just like, if your life is flashing before your eyes and you're only 18, it's like it, it just can't take very long. And the the brevity of his life was very uh, shocking to me. But anyway, I really liked this movie. It was not uh, hopeful, but I felt like it was a pretty realistic as far as um, it goes. Yeah, it's definitely much bleaker than Boys in the Hood, even though they end in a similar way. I haven't seen this one, but I remember Boys in the Hood being like mostly a drama. This sounds more like a crime picture. Um, it's a drama too. It, it is. I think it's really interesting to compare the two. I think this one's like more stylistically done, like mm -hmm. Hannah said. There's a great interrogation scene where the lighting is like greens and reds and yeah. the camera is just like circling around the table as he's getting interrogated by this, you know, crooked cop and a lot of like Scorsese style shots. So it's like more stylistic and Boys in the Hood is more like an ensemble drama, more like sentimental to just, I think what makes Minnesota Society like really tragic is you kind of know from the get-go, like, this ain't going to end well. Whereas Boys in the Hood, you're invested in all the characters, and then the one that dies is not the one that should die, and that's what makes it so sad. So it's more like cloyingly tugging at your heartstrings, whereas Minister Society is just bleak as hell. Yeah, and it ties very well with another movie that we're going to talk about yeah. later, yeah. like how... like gangster media has influenced people and like i mean the movie that we're going to watch later doesn't end super well but it's like this 
idolized way of life that is like totally damaging to you and everybody around you. People deliberately take the wrong lessons. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Right. Well, it's like like how gangster movies, like Italian gangster films, popularize. You know, I don't know, like spaghetti and smoking cigars right. and. In the same way that Miss Society, it's like blunts and 40s, and that's just like become part of the culture. Saw, I recently watched New Jack City for the first time, and it's about Ooh, like the crack epidemic. Great movie. It's very good. It's like, like you said, like artfully shot in the same way, and it's very like energetic. Um, but it also has to insert all these like title cards about like how crack cocaine is like ruining <laughs> people's lives. Yeah. And, like, you should like petition your government to like do something about it. Yeah. Basically. Right. Um, which, I mean, pretty short-sighted way of like solving that issue but uh it's just funny like that one like deliberately tells you like hey this isn't fun or cool yeah don't (laughs) do this please yeah Yeah. so uh james what have you been watching Uh, i watched a movie that brandon had recommended called mad god very divisive very divided by phil tippett who's uh i think it took him like 30 something years on and off to make this it's a stop motion animation just it's just a surreal, disturbing, gross nightmare. There's no plot really. No, I, there's a loose. A guy is on a mission to. <laughs> it's more of a premise than a he's, plot. Yeah, yeah he's premise and plot. Yeah, clones or not clones, some type of humanoid. He's soldiers. Yeah, into the depths of hell. Yeah, <laughs> and, and, and I so I, I loved it. I thought it was yeah. one of the most visually shocking things I've maybe ever seen hell yeah i like <laughs> it's really i mean there's a few images like definitely the guys getting electrocuted and their shit is being funneled down to fuel something or another i stuff like that and some of the cre- some of the creatures in here are disturbing and then like i don't know i, I feel like the first half it just gives you all this really weird messed up visual and then it becomes kind of like ethereal in the second half and kind of like a mood piece and i thought it was really interesting and i I, i'm curious why why is it divisive because i've seen kind of universal praise i mean i saw it at overlook festival and the mood in the room was very split like i walked out like on cloud nine and uh, (laughs) this guy i was chatting with in line beforehand was like that's the worst movie i've seen in like years what really so interesting i mean he was like weren't you bored I was like, no, I was like riveted the whole time. I, I do think because you don't have a plot to attach or dialogue or really dialogue. It's like, like you said, it's something where you just got to put your phone down, be in the dark and just like <laughs> get in that world and do not leave it because you can like doze off if you're not like really invested in it. And there's, but there's so much to like chew on and process visually. It, it is like an absolute visceral visual feast but it's also like purposefully grating like yeah i noticed when i watched it on shutter this wasn't as oppressive but like in the theater the sound mixing had the ticking clocks and the screaming babies like so loud the screaming baby thing did disturb me yeah i think it can like turn you off if you're not on board but i i thought besides those like kind of grating moments the score was one of the best aspects it was Mm -hmm. beautiful yeah like really I don't know, just like really soft strings. And um, anyway, it was definitely one of the best things I've seen this year. And it's on Shudder now. So yeah. if you have Shudder, check it out because it's it's a trip, man. Yeah. It really is a trip. It seems like it's a, a boomer in an alley. 
I made this? Boomer watch it for the uh, podcast. Yeah. yeah. Did, did you he... like it? Yeah. Well, yeah, but not as much as I did. Oh, okay. <laughs> I I feel like this movie so far is like like four for six. Yeah. From the Swamp Flicks crew. Like, I thought this was a five star I'd be movie. curious what you think about it, yeah. Brittany. You, you should check yeah, it out. Please. I was supposed to go see it when it had like its last round abroad. Yeah. And yeah. then I ended up missing out on it. But I'm very, I love stop motion animation. Yeah. Like, period. Oh, yeah. Um, no, it kind of just reminded me of like all, you know, we went like little, like, you know, like little Otik, like that. I can never pronounce like the guy's last name that does all those. Uh, Jan Schmeckmeyer. Yes. Ooh. But like that, but with like vomit on top of it. Yeah. Nice. Which yeah. I, <laughs> I, I, why wouldn't I like that? I related so much to those little like hair men that were just like <laughs> just kept getting squished. killed. Yeah. Trying to do their like, stupid little jobs. Uh, <laughs> I feel yeah. that, man. But that, that's the last thing I'll say about it is like, it might not have a plot, but it is definitely about something. I think it's about a few things. A, f- like, a lot of, yeah, a few things. And it's, because there's no dialogue and no plot, my mind was really working, like connecting these different images yeah. and mm-hmm. the threads in the film. And it, it was like very thought provoking yeah, and, like, and challenging. It feels like he started out trying to make one movie about like just how everything is violence and like everyone exploits someone smaller than them. Because there's, like, like, there's a lot of scale. There's like a lot of big people shitting on the people below them, like yeah. shoveling their shit as a job. Right. But I think the fact that it took him 30 years to make it, it kind of becomes about time and about its own creation and just like keeping on sending your little soldiers out in the world and like mm. they don't make it, but you yeah, just keep doing it. Yeah, it's about like art and creation and yeah. death and time and like these big yeah. heavy. Yeah, because I mean, it, it took him his whole career to piece this thing together. So it really does feel like a magnum opus. Yeah. Right. It's like his most important work. And the end is sort of like his 2001 A Space. It's just like, rushing through mm-hmm. time and light and color and anyway it's it's challenging stuff but man it, it's one of the trippiest things i've seen in years it's high up on my list of the best of the yeah. year stuff for sure same for me there's a great scene in a terrarium too which i will not um oh uh, that's my favorite part like yeah. the day glow kind of stuff yeah yeah i uh. was like oh so like oh some light and love and then things unfold in the terrarium Just little dudes <laughs> doing goofy stuff yeah, yeah. Uh, mushroom guy and then it gets violent <laughs> yeah <laughs> like everything else oh uh, so what about you brandon well y'all have been watching great movies um <laughs> i watched one of the worst movies of all time amazing really uh Gigi-ly, starring, oh, oh. starring benifer yeah yes um and they met on the set of that movie and they they just got back together right <laughs> right I, I found this movie at a thrift store not that long ago and then they got back together and um i was like well i have an occasion to watch it now that's great Wait, is is this one that's george carlin in it no, that's Jersey Girl, which is uh, the other feature film they started. Yeah. Together. Yes. Okay, I get those two I confused. I remember liking Jersey Girl. Same. Haven't seen it. That's the one where the his uh, wife dies, right? In the beginning? I don't know. Yeah. But, okay, it doesn't matter. <laughs> so, usually. So, they met on the set of this movie, or at least they became like intimate on the set of this movie. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I think I said met before, but you can tell on screen that they are red hot for each other. Mm. And like all of the stuff about their sexual tension like really worked for me. Everything else in the movie is so thoroughly repugnant that like <laughs> it just completely self-sabotages itself. Oh, no. Um this is like the post Tarantino era of like the 90s when like everyone was like these like low-level criminals who like say fuck every three words and like that's supposed to be the coolest thing you've ever seen. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um it's a comedy. Uh Ben Affleck stars as like the lowest of the criminals and he is assigned to kidnap the son of a prosecutor before a big mob trial. 
and the son of the prosecutor is intellectually disabled. And all of the jokes are about how he likes to rap and he wants to go meet the babes from Baywatch. And oh, no. all of the humor is like, isn't it funny that this kid is such a goofball? Oh. Uh, it's so uncomfortable. And then they hire J-Lo to also look over this kid because they don't trust. Um, I'm saying kid, he's probably like 20. Um, they also don't trust Ben Affleck to do this job on his own. And J-Lo plays a lesbian. And he is very into her and wants to convert her over to heterosexuality. Oh, no. <laughs> And, you know, over the time, it works. Oh, God. So, like, that's two layers of problems. Right. <laughs> really big ones. Oh, my um, God. I will say because they are so hot for each other, like, it's a very boneheaded premise, but it actually kind of works because she has to, like, talk herself into it. And, like, um, she does that by making him more feminine and, like, breaking down his, like, machismo and, like, convincing him that he has, like feminine tendencies and stuff like that uh which is like kind of an interesting like kinky angle for this kind of movie <laughs> i'm wondering if in real life if they role like role play usually <laughs> yeah that was the only way they could make their relationship work like we yeah. met in this kink circumstance right this like, like force film usually yeah. night every <laughs> thursday you know after pizza or something here's my pitch for usually this movie needs to be remade Drop the uh, hostage <laughs> stuff right out. That is not going to work in any context. Okay. Like, not funny, actually cruel, punching down, ableist bullshit. So drop that and make it like an erotic thriller instead of a comedy. It could work because they're like, <laughs> actually like into each other and keep the same cast. Like, you have like, uh, who's on board? Uh, Christopher Walken's in there. Mm. Al Pacino comes through. Wow. Just as big as they ever are on screen. Ridiculous side characters. Yeah, it's just like drop the worst part of the 90s. (laughs) And then heighten up the best part. Yeah. Right. Brandon, I'm going to send this podcast to 20th Century Pictures. (laughs) We need to get this in writing. It's probably better that we don't touch this movie ever again and no one ever references it, but I don't know. Isn't it a remake as well? Is it? I don't think so. Or am I lying? No, Jersey Girls, the remake, because that one was the one, the original one had Jamie Gertz in it. Oh. Hmm. I do know that this is not the only movie where Ben Affleck tries to convert a lesbian to heterosexuality. Oh, Chasing Amy. Yeah. 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 God. So I don't know why he kept getting cast in those roles or if it was something he was like into. He has the face of a wannabe lesbian converter. (laughs) Yeah, a guy who's so self-assured in his yeah. own masculinity like i like, can I'm turn so hot, anyone can, exactly because yeah. that's how it works it's so right. funny though like the way they argue about it it's like more philosophical than like anything like he's like going into these like monologues about how like dicks and dildos are like these like sacred objects oh god, oh god. and like how did you sit through this <laughs> and then she like shoots back about how like the mouth is the twin sister of the vagina and like <laughs> Wow. When she when she orders him to go down on her, she says, um, it's turkey time, gobble, gobble. <laughs> the lines and their like, exchanges are so time. absurd that it's actually kind of like borderline brilliant. Oh, <laughs> I don't know. Good God. God. I, do, I do agree with you, though. Like, I really wish, and I know this isn't how the movie industry works, but please like remake more bad films. Yeah. Like, it mm. failed the first time, yeah. but it had a good premise and something interesting there that you know, they just didn't capitalize on it. Remake that. Yeah. 
this has a terrible premise. Right. Um, the thing that works is that these two millionaires the really want to bone each yeah. other. Yeah. Right. The first thing you said was drop like a major component <laughs> of, of the plot. Everything. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Take that out. Just put J-Lo and Ben Affleck in a room. They did fix one thing about it, which was the original draft had J-Lo being shot dead. The only <laughs> oh lesbian character was killed. <laughs> oh my God. And the audiences hated it, so they yeah. fixed the ending. Okay. Um, so if you remake it... Um, don't bring that back right. either. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, terrible film D- deserves all of the like I kind of have to see it now. Yeah. yeah. Was it was not a pleasant experience. I don't know why I'm bringing it <laughs> like up. Like even like fun in a bad way type of it was just it was excruciating the whole time. It was like you know you want to go back to these like flops with a revisionist eye and be like actually there's something interesting here. Yeah. And yeah. it's like the only thing that's interesting is the same sexual chemistry that you would get from them like in those like paparazzi photos of his hand resting on his ass on her ass while they're like right napping on their yacht yeah. like I, you can get the benefer experience outside of this awful film right i know i feel like <laughs> that you know i tried to do a similar thing with like swept away where i'm like this has to be a good movie and then it kind of wasn't and then it's also a remake of a much more beloved movie <gasps> <laughs> yeah you're right anyway more remakes to come yeah. in this conversation. Yeah. Mostly good. Yeah, I, I think so. I liked them all. Okay, <laughs> I might be a little bit of a dissenter on some of these. I, but. Yeah, I I would say that there was a nice spread from I thought they were great to like okay, fine, yeah, fine. Okay, yeah. that's so. that's fair. So get excited for that decline from great <laughs> to fine. Yeah. And all that's coming up to you right, right now. now. Postman checks all the boxes on the film noir checklist: passion, sex. Murder, betrayal, a femme fatale, even a voiceover narration. But the movie succeeds primarily because of the chemistry between Turner and Garfield. Garfield gives a complex performance as a bad good guy, or maybe he's a good bad guy. It's hard to tell. And like a good noir, that's how it's supposed to be. All right. So it was kind of like my turn to pick a theme um, for this episode. And I decided to go with remakes because I... Um, watched a, a remake that kind of blew my mind and I wanted to share it with everyone. And and that remake is The Postman Always Rings Twice from 1981. Um, I had seen the original, like 19, I think it was like 1947 uh, version with Lana Turner years ago. And... I was kind of every time like HBO Max does like the monthly refresh, I go and I pick things and then I make like a watch list. And I saw like Jack Nicholson and Jessica Lang just looking real dirty and grimy mm-hmm. on the cover. And it said the postman always rings twice. I didn't even know this existed. And I'm like, this is so like, how did this like fly under my radar? I immediately pinned it and then I watched it and loved it. The thing is, the the 1947 version, it's it's a film noir, and it's clean. It's mm-hmm. very clean. And this version, this 1981 version that I really want everyone to see, is just filth. And it's awesome. <laughs> it is like just this gritty realism that it, it's way, yeah, it's like more realistic to the story than the 1947 version and because this was like a remake that like i thought was like on the level of the original one or even i liked it maybe a little more 
I don't know. I thought it would be a good conversation to have because a lot of times when people hear remakes, they're like, oh, you know, the, the OG is always the best one. And hey, sometimes maybe, but not all the time. Well, anyway, um, this story revolves around a drifter in the 1981 version. This is played by Jack Nicholson. So, I mean, Jack Nicholson just looks like he's been 65 years old for his entire life. <laughs> so the fact that he's like playing this like hot drifter just is and so he, funny to me. And he looks like a con man. He yeah. does. Really Naturally. looks like a con man. Yes. Um, so he plays a drifter named Frank, and um, he stops at a diner. It's like a cool roadside diner to get a meal. And the diner is owned by a Greek immigrant and his much younger wife, played by Jessica Lange. And her name is Cora. And she is not very fond of him, but it's kind of because he brings, like, she wants to, she wants to fuck him. And he wants to fuck her. And, like, they have this animalistic attraction to each other that is not love it is just this bizarre lust and there is this unforgettable scene that takes place on this like countertop where there's like flour and bread flying all over the place and he's just disgusting he's just sweaty and filthy looks like he hasn't bathed in like months and she's I mean, she's beautiful, but she's not glamorous. Like, I feel like Lana Turner in the original movie was very glam, you know, prim and proper. And she's just like, just as sweaty as he is and, you know, kind of roughed up. And they go at it. No nudity in that scene. No nudity. Um, but it's very so graphic. Fucking vulgar. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. You see his hand do things to her crotch that yes. I'm not seen Vigorous. outside of the Yes, and we do get some, uh, we get peeks at her pubic hair throughout as well, the film. Apparently, the way they got away with that was they um, darkened the prints when they showed it to censors. Like when they darkened it enough, you could not see her pubes. So when they actually like sent the prints out to theaters, they had like lightened it so that you can actually see. Her crotch. It was like important to them that the pubes were in there. <laughs> yes. Gotta see the pubes. We've got to make it so much to that story. <laughs> right, but uh, yeah, like for some reason, like this felt like more raunchier than if we would have seen like titties or something like yeah. that. Like it, just the way that it's done, it's insane. Well, and they're like s- kind of savagery. Like their relationship and their sex is like almost rapey, and it's, it's like yeah, yes. very violent, violent. Yeah, I didn't know how to feel about yeah. that. I was like, I'm kind of turned on by this, but this is also a yeah. little gross. He and punches this- her really hard in the butt one time. Oh yeah, very weird. <laughs> yeah. I was like, what's that? Oh, what I don't happening? know. It also it is like focused on her pleasure in a way that you don't normally see in movies. Like, right. he's like rubbing her crotch. Yeah. He's going down on yeah. her. Yeah, she spits in his face. That's right. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you know, um, <laughs> so. They have this like attraction to each other and she is not in a loving marriage. She just does not like her husband, um, which is kind of different from the OG version, the 1940s version. She's very like, she just wants her husband's attention. She's like, love me. Like I love you. Love me. Love me. And pay attention to me. That doesn't translate in um, this 1981 version at all. So, they kind of try to run away together and he's a drifter. So he like takes her money and gambles it. And she kind of realizes like, I can't do this. And she goes back, which I think is very interesting. It's like you, they're leaving and escaping. You're like, Oh, this is it. And then they just end end up back where they started, like at this cafe. And, you know, he's working in um, her husband's body shop 
so they are kind of like doing all this like in his presence and he just doesn't really pick up on it. And then um, eventually murder gets involved and then, you know, they uh, try to kill her husband. It's a very interesting scene because it's sort of like uh, they want to do it. And then when it's, well, when the first attempt is done, it's sort of like they both feel this remorse and regret. And then he really, he really does die in another attempt. And there's a, a massive court case where he kind of throws her under the bus and she ends up getting off on it with just probation and it brings more business to their diner. And the goal is, you know, when probation's over with, we leave and start anew somewhere else. And then she goes on a like week long trip out of town to visit her mother who's dying. And, um, during that time, the circus thing happens, which is the coolest part. Um, <laughs> All right, we'll have to talk about that. So, at the time, Jack Nicholson was dating Angelica Houston, and she was like not this, uh, you know, big Hollywood actress at this time. Like this was not—I don't—I don't think she had any. I mean, her like, dad was super famous, but yeah, she wasn't yet. But she yeah. hasn't done. She didn't do anything like massive. Um, I like. I find her so attractive. Oh yeah, yeah. she's so <laughs> totally. gorgeous. She was. She's in that like strappy lion tamer yes, outfit. With the, like, like those khaki pants yeah. pulled up real high. These cats will not perform. Exactly. <laughs> so he um he bangs Angelica Houston, who's like a lion tamer that works at a circus, <laughs> and then um he goes back to the cafe, and Jessica Lang's back from you know her mother's funeral and. She finds out that he cheated on her and she's like, oh, by the way, I'm pregnant. And there's just like a very quick ending. I will say the one thing about the ending in this movie, and I guess we, we're spoiling everything. Um, they're driving and she um, just falls out. Flies out. <laughs> Falls out, dies into the movie. Yeah. There we go. That sounds like that. Um, I think you should leave. Sketch where he's like, I don't want a car with a steering wheel that just doesn't fly right. Yes, out there. Well, that's gonna come out up the later. window. Oh my god. Oh yeah, for sure. Yes, yes, yeah, yeah. yes, yes, yes. How does that relate to two different films in this right? list? It's know. insane. Yeah. So um. she like rolls out where like there's no way she would have died. Um, she just would have had like maybe some brush burn. Um, from the rocks and the grass and stuff like that and then she dies and then it, it ends that way with like no real <laughs> like ambiance to it or meaning it's a uh, it's kind of shitty it's a but bad it's a bad ending yep it's a, it's a, it a is a bad ending, bad ending but i will say that i found it very funny, I was funny. <laughs> wait but i was interested how does that compare to the original uh in the original he basically goes to jail for her murder and then like it turns out the whole time he's been talking to his priest before his execution. Like yeah. he finally gets pinned for a murder. Oh, but it's her. He has he has a choice. Either he goes, either he admits that he killed her husband, husband. or he goes to jail for killing her. There is a car which he accident. didn't do that, and mm-hmm. that makes more sense too. Because yeah. the idea of the postman always rings twice. It's like if you didn't get justice the first time, you'll right. get it eventually. That's why it makes no sense in this movie. Also, in the forties ending, he says the title yeah. out loud yes. in that final oh. scene. Which... Uh, I guess the postman always rings twice. It, exactly. But he, but the whole theme of the story seems to be kind of lost with that ending. I guess God is the one that's <laughs> like there the is arbiter no God of justice. In this movie, I'll tell you that they were really just focused on the pubes. They weren't really like exactly. the picture. <laughs> yeah. So. 
I I loved this version because obviously the pubes, but <laughs> it was just so Number grimy and like disgusting and fun and tr- it was the trashiest version of a you know um a, a, a classy film noir that I've ever seen, and I thought it very funny. Um, Lana Turner was so pissed that this movie was made and she was like this is porno trash <laughs> and she like refused to see it yeah she didn't watch it which i thought was so fucking funny and made me love it a little more um so i'm yeah i'm curious to see what everyone thought about it and if you have seen the uh the 1940s version and if there's um any kind of comparison i watched them both in a row yeah i thought this was pretty illustrative of something we were talking about with um fatal instinct how like Basically, erotic thrillers were just noir with, like, more explicit sex. <laughs> yes. Um, and this one, like, is such a platonic ideal of that template where it's like, yep, they just took the noir and, like, didn't even update the era to the 80s. Like, they just, like, added more explicit sex to it. Um, I honestly found the original way more sexy. Like, this one really? is more pornographic. Yeah. The original is, like... The heat between them right. is like red hot in the 40s version. And I didn't really feel much animal lust in this besides their behavior. But I do like that they have that um, erotic thriller style behavior where it's like not really sex. It's more like fight choreography. Yeah, like totally. Throwing shit against yeah. the yeah, wall she's and like, punching you things. bastard. Yeah. 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 I, I kept them. thinking a lot about um, body heat, especially in the first hour. It was giving me body heat vibes. Yeah. Which I dug a lot. I was like, ooh, okay, trashy noir. It's mm-hmm. sweaty. It's gross. I love it. And then right at like the midpoint of the film where it goes to the trial stuff, and then there's the lion tamer, and then <laughs> the ex, like his ex lawyer comes to extort him, and then the bad ending, the like whole second hour of the film, I was like, what is going on? This has gone completely off the rails for me. But that first hour was like, giving me body heat vibes in the best way I will say that's a problem with both movies. Like, Mm -hmm. both movies are best Mm. in their first hour, and then that court scene... uh, I just hate courtroom scenes, And they're they're in jail cells, and they, like, hate each other. It's like, why are you cooling off all that red hot like animal yeah. lust? Yeah, and then, but they brought in real animals. <laughs> well, in, in this, yeah, in the eighties one, one, yeah. <laughs> I will say too, like I, I don't know, I like the circus twist, and I did like how we didn't have to know that she like talked to his like circus lover because all we saw was like a bobcat, <laughs> On the like bed. that she left behind. Yeah, that's and great. Then, and then later, it's just in a cage in their living room, like they keep the bobcat. <laughs> yes. It seemed so. I did a quick scan of the Wikipedia page for the um, previous version, and it it seemed like like both the guy threatening to like tell everybody that she confessed and his fling are like it seemed like they were a bigger part of the story in the first version, or at least, like there are really no ramifications of his affair. In yeah. the second one. It's like he fucks this lion tamer. She comes <laughs> to talk to his wife um, or, you know, lover. Yeah. They get the cat and then it's kind of over. You're right. It, it's like it's sped up a lot. Yeah. And it's like if you wouldn't have like really. 
I feel like it makes more sense whenever you're like when you see that one from the 40s and you watch this but like when you watch if you watch this with like no no context idea it probably seems just crazy it's like what why is all this shit like thrown in at the end of the last minute like doesn't the woman doesn't the woman he has an affair with in the first version like isn't she trying to blackmail him or something or i don't think there's much time for much of a plot there yeah like, she's okay. barely in it the same way that yeah interesting I mean, the thing is that the plots are besides like the last minute of these movies mm-hmm. the plots are pretty parallel like yeah pretty really? similar what i don't understand is like why is this novel adapted so many times like yeah. Before the 40s one, there were like two European adaptations of the same book. So like even the 40s one was the third version of this. And it's like this plot structure might work really well in a novel, but like mm-hmm. the way it's structured just doesn't work in a movie. Like it, the, the yeah. court, usually in noirs, like what, what do we talk about with the um, Lever to Heaven, for instance? Yeah. Like you'll resolve all the stuff in the courtroom, which James said then that, that didn't work for you either. But like yeah. moving that up closer to the middle doesn't yeah. tell. Weird. Right. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, at least if it's at the end, it's like that's the ending and it's over. Not right. like you've taken out all of this inertia and then you're kind of like spinning around. For and the then inevitably, all the stuff after the courtroom has to feel rushed because there's like yeah. all these other plot points Post-court you want to hit. Energy. Yeah, yeah. Well, and, uh, ah! and also it's like I like the beginning of this movie so much because I thought the tension was good with like the husband. Like I like the drunken Greek. Guy that has his buddies yeah. over and they get wasted. Ugh, God, that party. Um, and that party scene is great in there. But that tension just like it's in a con- this like one like kind of restaurant and it's the three of mm-hmm. them and the tension of is he going to find out while they're plotting his murder. And that like really worked for me in the beginning. And then, yeah, like you said, once the courtroom stuff, it just sucks all of the tension out of the story. And it, I don't know. And then unfortunately at the end when she dies, I didn't feel anything. And that to me says <laughs> like, I don't know. That to me says like, it didn't do a good job of really deepening their relationship and having us care about them as a couple. Well, I think that kind of just points to like, why did they want to make this in the first place? Which I really do think it's just the pubes. Like <laughs> It's yeah. the pubes. And I think Jack Nicholson had a lot to do with it. Because he was very invested in playing this role. And you can kind of tell because he's kind of the main focus in here. Like, even though, like, it should be shared between him and Jessica Lange. Like, it feels like we're yeah we're kind of more on his yeah, shoulders it watching follow- Yeah, it follows him more yeah. than it follows her. But she had a more interesting character, really. Like, I know he's a drifter he's con just a, man, kind of a scumbag. But yeah. her, like, okay, I I kept wondering, like, why did you marry this guy? in the first place they talk about that more in the 40s when it's like she was like 18 and in a small town and he was the first one to propose and got her out of her house Mm -hmm. and she's very passionate about like her like restaurant yeah she wants to make something of herself exactly like in the 40s version like that's a big thing like she's like this is mine like i build this like i want to keep going with it and you kind of get that from like like jessica lang's character in here like she's very like hard work and Mm -hmm. you know you're lazy i'm not yeah, but like it's there's more internal life in those characters in the original version. And like yeah. you kind of can see like the drifters maybe not such a bad guy in the first version. It's like, oh, he I mean, they're obviously yeah. attracted to each other. Maybe he's just like is gonna see how this plays out. He's not actually trying to like wedge himself in these like in this couple's life. Right. And, and in this he's one there's really friendly with the husband yeah. too. Like they have like a camaraderie. 
in this one, there's really no subtext or like nuance to anyone's relationships. It's yeah. just like, he's just going to fuck up this marriage and try to get this woman to like run away with him. Yeah. And to me, like, I don't know. The only reason they really wanted to make this and the director even said like, you know, the original could not get away with as much because of the yeah. Hayes Code. Now, post like Bonnie and Clyde and like the new Hollywood stuff, yeah. we can do more. Um, let's see how filthy we can make. Yeah. And I mean, they achieved that goal. Yeah. But I don't know if that's like enough. Well, that that's an interesting point. Oh, I, don't, I actually don't know if I want to bring this up yet because it relates to Scarface. But yeah, another movie we're going to talk about does kind of the same thing, but with violence. It's like, hey, it's the 80s now. We can be as yeah. hyper violent. But that, <laughs> that movie had a lot more reasons to do what it did besides just like. Let's see what we can get away with. There's one great scene in this where uh, where that like really works for me, which is like the car crash scene. In the oh, original, yeah. it's just very like convoluted, but in this one, like them getting turned on by the accident, and having totally. sex next very to the car, crash. yeah, very trash Cronenberg shit. Yeah, but that was yes. great. Like they're even like the sexiness of the car crash, and something else I noticed in this one was like how the food is into like kind of pulls into the sexiness too, like the flour and the bread tossing scene, mm-hmm. but then also the hot. sloppy yeah. egg salad mixing, uh, <laughs> like just uh, globs stop, of stop, mayo stop. on bread and stuff, yeah. and he's like stirring and she's like fucking right like just you know just that nasty 1940s food um (laughs) aspect but they made it you know sexual i thought was kind of interesting too i liked this okay i think if they had wild nasty sex more often (laughs) yeah and it weren't just like three scenes that would have been better (laughs) like like if that's the point of why you want to remake this like Fully go for it and shove yeah. in as much of that as you want to. I understand. Yeah. yeah. I will say that I did, had not seen this movie before, but I had seen that sex. There is this like compendium of sex scenes in movies. There was one oh. website that you could go to, and I went there a lot as a teenager. Mr. Skin? No, it was called Nerve or something. It was not Mr. Skin. That's a classic. <laughs> I wow. Gotta check it Deep out. Deep cuts. I remember that. But I saw this scene, and it was like nothing. It, it's truly like animal guttural like clawing at each other and she's like like just pumping up and down it's yeah it's wild i kind of love that about erotic thrillers like they're not erotic they're like really violent and like the people seem to hate each other (laughs) in a way that's like kind of fascinating yeah yeah she's like constantly like swearing at him like no (laughs) piece of shit yeah yeah Yeah. (laughs) i've already brought it up once but that's why like anytime i watch these like erotic thrillers especially from this time period i can't help but Think about this isn't body heat. Right. I want more body heat. I want sex all the <laughs> oh time throughout yeah. the night. I want them dripping. I want it. I want to feel their passion throughout yeah. the entire thing, even when they're trying to kill each other. But body heat to me is legitimately sexy. Like those sex scenes are. T- I think so. Hot, hot, hot. Yeah, this, I, I, I felt mean, conflicted about these. I do think that the bread scene is hot, but it's also gross. And very, very antagonistic. Her throwing the flowers. Yeah, when she's the hottest right. thing and for the me. knife. When she oh, pushes, the knife. yeah, like I yeah. could stab this guy. Yeah, but no. when no. she pushes the the baked bread off the table, that's when I know like you're hot for this because right, you just that baked bread all looks that bread. really good. <laughs> yeah, you yeah. Know, like that bread just go on the floor. That's right. <laughs> oh, well, you know they they totally like fed those children, those boy scouts. Oh yeah, that's sex bread. Sex bread. Sex bread. <laughs> <laughs> Your present has no ribbon Your gift keeps on giving What is 
this I'm feeling If you wanna live, I'm with it That's it. That's what it's all about, man. Eating, drinking, fucking, sucking, Come on. snoring, that one. That one. You're 50, you got a bag for a belly, you got tits, you need a bra, they got hair on them, you got a liver, like there's spots on it, and you're eating this fucking shit. You're looking like these rich fucking mummies in there. It's not so bad. Could be worse, you know? So I selected a movie that I had not seen before, which is uh, probably a tragedy. But anyway, I picked Scarface, uh, directed in 1983 by Brian De Palma. It was uh, written by Oliver Stone. Uh, I don't know. I feel like anybody who listens to this has either seen Scarface or ha- like knows of Scarface. It's pretty impossible not to hear of it in pop culture. Anyway, so uh, Scarface is about uh, Tony Montana, a Cuban immigrant slash exile. Um, he's half Cuban. He um, was uh, formerly in prison. He comes over to America, and Tony Montana wants everything that's coming to him and what he believes is coming to him is the world. So he is trying to get as much power and money as quickly as possible. And he finds an in with these, like with these guys that are involved in the Coke dealing in Miami. Uh, He very quickly shows that he does not give a shit about anybody or anything. And that he is like, absolutely cold-blooded and uh, fierce he is sent by this kind of like middleman to get these two kilos of cocaine from a couple of colombian uh, drug dealers and it goes totally wrong they like tie up one of one of the dudes he's with in chains and like chainsaw him in the bathroom and um, eventually Tony gets out with the help of his friends. And then he, he just like ascends to the upper echelons of the criminal underground in Miami very quickly. Um, so the movie follows his like hungry ascent to um, power and opulence and then his like absolute and total violent downfall. So this is a beautiful De Palma movie like visually it's like so lush like lush red it's sweaty it's like Miami neon disgusting um there are a lot of uh flashy suits and cars there's a bright yellow convertible with white tiger interior which is (laughs) just like the gaudiest thing imaginable um, a lot of fun 80s dresses and like goofy coke dancing um, in like seedy clubs. And 
uh, Al Pacino just getting more and more, like more and more powerful, more and more rich, more paranoid, more coked up. And it was just like, it's three hours long, but it was absolutely thrilling to me. You can definitely feel the time, but it was never like not engaging in all of its like visual, visceral voluptuousness. Yeah. I mean, I can't disagree with you. I, it's been years since I had seen it, and it, it's incredible. I don't like this movie. Really? <laughs> oh. oh, I think it's incredible, man. Yeah, this, it's fine. Have you watched it before? In or high school, first? and all okay. I really remembered was Michelle Fiverr as like a coked up disco bitch. Uh, she's and she's amazing. Yeah, the, the way that like all the like main women dress when they go to the club, it's like they're what are those dresses called? Where it's like they're not wearing a bra, and it's like a v all the way to your crotch <laughs> they all have that it's same like, like gown yes kind of. and they're like just the, like like the know. halter kind of too yeah it's amazing her in the nightclub with the deb harry wig dancing to a deb harry song about awesome. doing cocaine yeah like that is beautiful i art. love all the club <laughs> scenes so much <laughs> i just babylon club i struggle with this movie like it's not super De Palma-ish. Like he, like you said, it has a great visual yeah. style to it, but I wouldn't have like guessed that he made this. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I, it's interesting because I think my personal favorite De Palma is uh, Blowout. Mm. And that is a, that's a De Palma flick, like camera tricks out the wazoo, split screens, you know, single take stuff, tracking shots. And this like, it does kind of take its foot off the gas pedal with that stuff. It's more focused on like the visual colors and yeah. the richness of, you know. What's like the one Hitchcock touch from this? Like, I, because he always shoehorns that in there. I'm thinking of like the bomb under the car that they're like following around and there's like tension in that scene. That's kind of it. Like, yeah. I guess the reason I'm asking that question is like, why did this get made as a remake? And like, there were a lot of 80s updates to noir. This one definitely has a point of view. Mm-hmm. Which is basically like the Howard Hawks like original yeah. is like really fun. <laughs> like they put all of these uh warnings on it to like explicitly say like gangs are bad for right. America. And then you watch the movie and it's like, I want to join a gang and shoot a bunch of people. Because <laughs> it's like super rapid, like it's 90 minutes and like most of the footage is his ride rise up. Mm-hmm. And um all like the like noir tropes you can think of of like one of the shots is like a machine gun going off and like that turns the pages of a calendar. Like, yeah. <laughs> it's like, it's like so cliche, like gangster picture stuff because mm-hmm. it invented like that visual language. Mm. This one I feel like is deliberately stripping the fun out of it and making Tony not cool yeah. on purpose. Like by the end, he's so gross. Oh yeah. He's just, yeah, sweaty yeah. and he's about to have a heart attack and he's got Coke on his face. Man. About to have incestual yeah. sex with his sister. Yes. Oh yeah. <laughs> this mountain of I, cocaine. I really liked, speaking of like the incest, like all the scenes where he would like zone out and get real like raged yeah. and how like the camera muted everything mm-hmm. so you like feel like that like really intense yeah. rage with him the tunnel vision exactly like yeah. specifically with his sister like when he sees her at the club and he's like fucking uber yeah. pissed oh, like oh yeah and to your point yeah. when he finally does find out who she's been dating and yeah then there's like this the score gets like really loud and like it's mm-hmm. like he's finally at his breaking point. 
Yeah. I, I, yeah, I thought all that stuff worked. I like how, too. like, you could, like, yeah, like, I felt all his, like, tension, kind of, not, you know, not well, all the cocaine stuff, because I wasn't on it, but, <laughs> but yeah, <laughs> you know like, what I mean, but you feel that, like, intensity. There, yeah. There's a couple scenes like that, the zoning out, where it's just him sitting at a table. Yes. It, it sort of reminded me of that Capone. Oh, definitely. You know, just, like, gross, but he's just, like, out of his mind on drugs, but miserable and alone. There's like a few different shots of him just sitting either at a dinner table or at his desk, and he just has the blankest stare. The novel that Scarface is based on was inspired by Al Capone. Yeah. Right. Oh. So you have this Italian immigrant story done done in this 40s noir version, and then this Italian-American actor decided he wanted to remake Scarface. He wanted to play Scarface. Yeah. So why the fuck did he make it like a Cuban <laughs> in, like immigrant well, crisis? Because I think that was like a huge thing in the news in the 80s. Yeah, that, that was, was like I mean, the big thing. I was literally like, I, we went and got lunch with my stepdad today who was from Cuba. And that's exactly, I mean, we talked about it, Like that's how he got over here. Like yeah. when Castro, you know, they opened up the borders and he was like, all right, here, take all these people. And he did send quite a few criminals. Do you think this white American actor is like the best choice for that? Why yes. did he feel okay? No, well, I, I, I do it. I do. No, here's, here's what I would say to that is like, like Hannah said earlier, you feel the runtime. Like it feels yeah. long, not like a checking my watch sort of way, mm-hmm. but like it wears you down. It wears you down. It's a long movie. And I feel like it's long because De Palma gave Al Pacino free reign to chew the scenery up as he saw fit. And on the one hand, I'm like, okay, you could have edited down 30, 40 minutes and made it a more palatable runtime. But those like chewing the scenery moments are sort of what makes the film as iconic as it is. So that's where I was like conflicted with watching it. I was like, man, this movie's long and this scene has definitely gone on too long, but it's Al Pacino doing his Al Pacino thing. I think that's what I was getting to earlier is that like, it is his movie. He like wanted to make this and he put it together and like, it's his project. And I just don't get why that choice of perspective, but I don't know. Like, it feels more like immigration scaremongering than it feels like gang violence scaremongering to me. I mean, I think it's more like capitalism, greed, scaremong. Like I was reading something where, um, well, first of all, apparently during the screening, Kurt Vonnegut walked out during the chainsaw scene. I was like, fuck this. this <laughs> it was gross. Wild. Yeah, it was pretty gross. But Scorsese leaned over to one of, I think, the producers, and he was like, this movie's great, but Hollywood's going to hate you because it's about them. And so I think he like, like he understood like it's not necessarily about Cuban criminals or about gang culture necessarily. It's just about greed and wanting to get more and more nicer cars, bigger house. Yeah. And that corrupts you. Yeah. In the same way that kind of like Wolf of Wall Street was sort of about that. I felt that too, because it's like, well, who was buying the cocaine? Like it wasn't yeah, like, the Cuban it, people. Like, you know, and I think that was made pretty obvious of like, that's how they sort of saw like, this is the America, the American dream, like, and then just accumulating all of this wealth. And that was like the main focus. Well, I think the 80s too, you know, that's like the height. Yeah. You had like Wall Street blowing up and you know, Reagan would come along. I think it's just like a very, at that time, capitalism and greed was like on a lot of filmmakers' Mm -hmm. minds. So I I don't know. I didn't really take it as necessarily, I think he used the Cuban refugee crisis or whatever you want to call it as a backdrop to talk about 
American greed. And that's the Oliver Stone like influence as the screenwriter. Yeah. yeah. But I don't know. I, I just found it very, very reactionary to that headline in a way that like, yeah, I just I just don't see like how <laughs> it was his story to tell. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah. He, he, he wanted to play that character and he did. And, and he's like very compelling as it. I yeah. Don't know. Like they say in the film, like, oh, he's half Cuban. You know, he's like half American, half Cuban. And I... I wondered how the movie would change if it was played by an actual Cuban person. And the actors around him are Cuban. And then it's kind of like obvious that he's not. It's it's a little strange, but he does do a great job. And, you know, as far as the fear mongering, like even though he is an awful person, you know, I actually did sympathize with him. Like I did think it was a tragedy and that like this is the only way that he has been able to find to like get this kind of power that he's looking for. And, you know, that there's that moment at the very end where all of the, like this drug Lord's army is invading his compound. And he's like sitting in that chair with his mountain of cocaine. (laughs) And you can see them like streaming in on all of these monitors that he has. And he just looks out of his mind, like, totally bereft and like angry and and i i did feel sad for him like i felt like it wasn't like he wasn't a demonized person in the movie it was he was a tragic figure Mm -hmm. well i also think like with his downfall being because he didn't want to kill women and children like the one act of good that he has done and his like one moral impulse like leads to his downfall was like a classic tragic you know, and and then the image of him in a pool, like yeah. a literal bloodbath, and like the globe, like the world is yours. I think what I love about this movie, it's like operatic filmmaking. That's true. It just feels so big and lush and grand. And um, I don't know, like that's what I really love about it. I have to, one side note is that in movies about men who um, kind of relinquish their integrity for economic and social power they absolutely need to stay away from pools like i feel like like sunset boulevard the great gatsby scarface like uh, if there's a pool like if you're searching for leisure and you give up your soul to get it you will die in the pool that you buy oh man so, i don't know just a warning i wonder if that like tragedy is actually part of the appeal in a way that i didn't you know, I, I kind of approach this. I'm like, why is he such a pop culture icon? And like, why is he such a hip hop mm-hmm. yeah. like, figure? Oh, I remember in college, it's Scarface posters, posters every- everywhere. Rappers like emulating him in their videos. Lots and of t-shirts. Lots, lots of, t-shirts. of t-shirts. Like, Maybe yeah. I'm not giving enough credit to like the tragedy of it being part of the appeal. Mm-hmm. You're like, I'm like trapped in this like hustling lifestyle and it's going to kill me eventually. Yeah. And- um, it's hard to like do this. I don't know. <laughs> I and I think it just like menace to society. It's like part of the gangster ethos is like you know you're going to die young. Like if I stay in this game long enough, mm-hmm. I will be dead. So let me get as rich and as powerful as possible with little effort. That's part of it too that I found interesting was like you know. He starts out as a dishwasher and he lasts like one night. He's like, I don't want to work a job. (laughs) I want the cars. I want the women. Like, I I want to go to the club. Yeah. I didn't come here for my back to work. And I think that is really inherent in like the gangster mentality subculture is like, 
fuck working at McDonald's. Like, I'm right. going to slang dope and make like five G's a night or whatever and get a nice car. And yeah, I might die when I'm 20, but you know, that's the only way to get to the top. And like that ruthlessness, I think the film is connecting to corporate American greed in general. It's like, that's the American mindset. It's like cutthroat. You got to do what you got to do to make it to the top or you're going to be a chump. And I, I don't know. It's like a really potent distillation of that idea with some fucking badass visuals. Yeah. <laughs> and it's really violent, too. Yeah. yeah. I I really loved like the blimp scene where he, he's like killed his former boss and he's standing like in this huge house with these tall windows um, and this blimp passes by and and i think it says the world is yours and then he just like emblazons that on all of his companies it's and then he has this like statue in his house it's like this that's his mantra that he's repeating to himself over and over again it's interesting too how much that uh the world is yours phrase um is repeated in hip-hop like a mantra like i yeah i think of like nas has that like as a hook and like you'll just hear that phrase just thrown out casually yeah um to the point where i just associate it with that genre of music and like I didn't realize that it was all strictly from strictly. Right. But, but like yeah. you said, like the messages don't do this. Right. Right. But people have taken it as like, no, that's kind of cool. Like, I kind of want to be like, that. Right. What a badass. What right. a badass. Yeah. That's what's funny about the 40s one is like, he's just as terrible about his sister. Like, that doesn't change. But like, generally, he's more charming than Tony Montana. Like, He's just like kind of like a fun guy who like doesn't take any of like the higher ups in the drug world seriously and or the booze running world seriously and like just kind of laughs his way while like shooting tons of people and like <laughs> you're like oh, I can kind of see why people thought uh, this was fun yeah, yeah. Uh, it's kind of it's kind of hard to make an argument that like the the De Palma Scarface is fun no I think the ruthlessness is the point yeah, yeah. it's, it's got, leaves like a sour taste in your mouth yeah I felt hungover watching that movie <laughs> so the Movie I picked for this remake episode is Father of the Bride, which still have not seen the original. No, nothing about it. I mean, I know the general premise, but which original? I've seen three of these movies now. Yeah, well, that's my question. <laughs> the I was, Steve Martin original okay. or the? So there was a novel, right, mm-hmm. in like the forties, and then there was a movie in the fifties with was it Spencer Tracy? Yeah, yeah. And Elizabeth Taylor as the bride. Mm-hmm. Yes. Oh, wow. She's so young. And then the Steve Martin movie, I think, came out in like 91. And then they did a sequel <laughs> to that one. I did, did not watch the, the sequel. sequel? No. Oh, okay. And now this is another version that just came out this year starring Andy Garcia and Gloria Stefan. And this one is kind of a new spin on it. It's this couple, Billy and Ingrid, who we find out they're... Cuban Americans living in Miami who are about to go through a divorce and they're waiting to tell their children. They have two daughters, Sophia and I think Cora. And anyway, they they find out that Sophia is going to get married to this man that she met at law school. They're both lawyers and they're going to go work in Mexico for a non-for-profit. And so Billy and Ingrid decide they're going to wait off telling them that they're getting split so they can focus on this wedding. And yeah, the movie is called Father of the Bride. So it is focused a lot around Billy. And he's this kind of old school Cuban, just focused on like 
family and he keeps bringing up how, you know, he's an architect and he built their home and he came over with like no money in his pocket and he made it, but he's kind of neglecting being this like open father and husband to his family. And there's a lot of tension in the movie between like the new generation, like the more progressive children and husband and kind of the old guard. You know, there, there's a lot of stuff about his uh, daughter's husband. He wants to have like a Zen guide at their wedding. And there's a lot of sort of modern, like he takes her last name. She proposed to him and Billy doesn't understand any of this. Like this isn't how we do it. And there's a lot of that with the families as well, because the husband's family is from Mexico. And so you get a lot of this tension between Cuban and Mexican Latino cultures clashing and also clashing of generations as he tries to like become a new man, so to speak. So it's kind of like a plot that's been done. I mean, there's a lot of like wedding movies kind of like this. Again, I've never seen the original father of the bride, so I can't really compare the two, but I had a blast watching this movie. I thought it was like, really sweet and a perfect like mid budget lighthearted feel good thing and like i don't know whenever i see gloria stefan cry i i want to cry and and the food in the film like yeah just like really authentic like cuban food just like made my mouth water like i hadn't eaten lunch yet so I was like, oh my <laughs> god i gotta go get lunch this looks so good those plantains and it, yes and it, I, it, and it has a really like kind of sweet message about kind of getting with the times and so i i really enjoyed it for what it was so brandon i guess i'll ask you <laughs> since you saw the the originals how does this compare i might not be the perfect person to start with because i don't think any of them are great like all three of them are like fine and they're all fluff they're just fluff from different eras like yeah the 50s one is this lighthearted comedy the 90s one has this sort of nora efron I mean, I think she wrote it, but it has this like sentimentality added on top mm-hmm. of it, which it tries to make you cry very often. And it works like every time the dad and his daughter play basketball in the 90s when I instantly start crying for no reason whatsoever. <laughs> yeah. Like if you bring out basketball shoes or a basketball in that movie, like the, my tears just like come out of me like, <laughs> Damn like it. a magnet. Yeah. <laughs> and I think in the, the new one too, uh, the, do- the, the weirder daughter, anytime something came up with her like being validated for being like an outsider dressmaker for some reason i just started week which, which i guess is like um another sign pointing that as soon as i see mrs harris goes to paris i'm just gonna like be a blubbering mess but see i felt like her character was the most underdeveloped of any of like i wanted to see more of her i want quinceanera jumpers right? yeah that's what i'd say in general is like everybody's playing an archetype in all three of these movies the point of view character is like the least interesting archetype which is just like an old fuddy-duddy um the the promo shots from the first one are of him spanking his daughter in her wedding dress which is like the kind of like (laughs) whoa it's uncomfortable and not cool but like kind of sums up the like infantilization that all these men have with their like fully adult daughters in a way that kind of gets so, to the heart of the series. In in the Steve Martin one, are they going through a divorce? Or no, a this is divorce? the only one where divorce is a See, thing. I really liked that angle. I think that added a lot of yeah. tension because it made a lot more sense why he would 
be so concerned with his daughter, you know, being married because now, and especially in this one where she's going to move to Mexico, it's like, oh shit, like that's the last person in my life that matters is moving away. That's what I'll say is in favor of this one is like the character dynamics and the characters themselves are the most nuanced and like fleshed out and like they have reasons behind all of their conflicts and like the conflicts between the two families isn't just a wealth issue. Like it's two different cultures coming together, but I got, okay. There's no way for me to talk about this without sounding like an asshole, but I'm going to go for it. Uh Oh, here the, we go. The fifties one is fluff. Yeah. But it has these like beautiful dream sequences and like camera like movements and stuff that like shows like how high quality fluff was at the time. And then the nineties one it goes down a little bit in quality and like it's still fluff, but it like looks kind of nice. It's got that warm, like uh, made for TV kind of feeling. And then you yeah. get to the 2000s one and what is made, what passes for like made for TV now is like, it looks like a fucking luxury car commercial. Like this movie's yeah, it does. shot. It's not cinema, it's content. It's like made for you to watch it the first week it well, comes out on HBO and then you forget about and, it. And that's why I was saying, when I was saying like a mid budget, like that's what I think of. It's like, it had a nice size budget of like a really good like car commercial or something. And it looks like something, like you said, that gets released on Netflix. And then like a week or two later, you've you've, watched you folded it. your laundry to it, then it's over. But that mm. being said, it has, it has some heart to it. And it like did tug at my heartstrings. At least. And like, I, I like the Latino aspect and the clash of, Mexico and Cuba and their cultures. I, I thought that was like a really nice spin on an so, old formula. I watched this the second day that it came out and I still thought about it. And then I watched it again. I liked it just as much. So I don't know. Like my, my taste is questionable, <laughs> <laughs> but I, I think that goes this. for everyone in this yeah. room. Probably. Yeah, like, I don't know, like, I, you know, I liked it when I watched it the first time. I'm like, Oh, that was like really sweet and just like a good, like a yeah. good movie to sit mm-hmm. down and watch. And, um, then when I watched it again, I was like, oh, this is still pretty cool. I like this movie a lot. Uh, I don't know. I liked Andy Garcia as like the grumpy dad. I think he's I good. I think that he's character really is really fun. Um, just, you know, that like old school, like pawpaw attitude towards everything. And then like he he has to like get learned up. I like that. So, yeah. Oh, yeah. And then, oh, my God. The scene where like there's, you know, they're living in Florida. And so they deal with hurricanes. And oh, yeah. where they're under the sheets. With his daughter and their place. That made me cry. And then... Because I I still do that, like, you know, with, like, my parents. Like, whenever, like, storms come and stuff and we all ride it out Mm -hmm. together, it's like we're all, like, bundled up in the same room. And it's like, you know, that whole sense of, like, just family. Like, no matter how old you are, you're still kind of a kid to your parents. Yeah. I thought that was really sweet. And again, with the the food, man. Yep. (laughs) Even the grocery store scene when they're... Just piling all the stuff into oh, that like basket, and then there's like a one take scene where they decide, you know, they have to have the wedding at their house, right? Because of the storm and a bridge has collapsed or whatever, and they get all the like mothers and grandmothers in the kitchen. They're like, "All right, what can we make in under four hours?" And they're like, they're already like putting the work and like, "All right," and they start right. and just like, I don't know, it had it had a heart and a life to it that I. I I get that it is fluff and it's glossy and pro- consumable content, but I don't know. So it, 
It was good. Yeah. I yeah. It. I mean, you got to fill up the servers with something. It reminded me so <laughs> much of like, so I'm not Cuban, but um, a really good friend of mine is Cuban and his mom lives in Miami. And just like the way that he is, like anytime like you go over and he's like, I just want to cook and I want to feed you and, you know, I want to love on you and like that whole like, it, all that, you know, Cuban family energy. I don't know. I loved it. It was very comforting to me and it felt like that in this I- movie. I feel like like I hated the way that it was I hated the production and the visual style. Um sorry, especially when on that yacht. Oh, right. the green screen it, on the green yacht. screen was one of the worst things I've seen. <laughs> With yeah. the uncle year. from I think you should leave okay, coming in. Well, yes. Not. Yes. <laughs> Please. Okay, so I I hated the visual style. Normally it really bothers me and it bothered me a little bit in this film when like the topic of discussion is like basically it's like a lot of the conversations between the different generations felt like a facebook chat board it's like this is like the representation of the traditional standpoint and every you know like we must stand by tradition and then daughter's like ah but things have changed father and maybe we should reconsider you know like so that annoyed me but i still like was charmed by this movie and especially like i feel like there were a lot of characters that got a few little kernel kernels of shine and Ruben Rabasa shined <laughs> in every like every moment that he was in this movie I was laughing. Like I can't I've only ever seen him in that sorry to bother you sketch, but his like long strange fingers and his like wiry <laughs> white hair. He was just like and he was just like a sweet Cuban uncle who had is like the band leader of this like old band of cuban singers and musicians and he like wants to swim in or he wants to fish to like get shrimp for ceviche um but (laughs) yeah i don't know i like there is also um sophie's like friend character who's like a queer um chick who lives in new york who had like some genuinely funny lines. I love her. She's on yeah. um, um, Losa Spookies. Her name's Ana Fabrega. Oh, really? She's hilarious. Yeah. She, She's barely in this, though. No, yeah. I I wanted her to have so much more time. But every time she said something, I laughed. Like, there's this scene where they're fitting Sophie for her wedding dress, and then uh, they're, like, pressuring the mom to try on her old dress and everybody's like yeah try it on and and the girl's like well we'll resort to violence like just this weird <laughs> anyway like there are a lot of little genuinely funny sweet moments that kind of pulled me through the visual and the kind of like didactic i, I feel like what you're searching for is any like speck of humanity in any <laughs> of these characters and like those are the two that stand out for sure yeah and like even she gets turned into like a representation yeah, checkbox absolutely. at the end of the wedding where she's like two women dancing together. Right. Yeah. So how, how I I didn't know how to feel about that queer relationship where it's so on the sidelines and it's never explicitly it's a said. Disney thing where you like just do just enough of it get to get brownie yeah. points on Twitter, but like not enough to actually piss off conservatives. Right. It's like just the tiny touch of queer representation. I, I know, but I was thinking like, but it's. Also kind of cool that it doesn't have to be in your face, that it can just exist. It'd be cool if they interacted more. Like Yeah. Just a touch of queer. Just a touch of queer. These two are wearing pants. Yeah, they're almost like they're different. I see the two lenses with that because it also like just make it normalizes it where it's it's not like this big focus. 
but it would be more of just a thing if they were like on screen together interacting in yeah in, in any kind of like true, human true. way right and I okay and my second question that I wanted to bring up with this movie was did it need to be called father of the bride like right th- and that's what big thing I was wrestling with was like it is now part of this canon of father of the bride films whereas it feels like it's you know it's just a story about a family during a wedding and we have tons of those and you know you had like my big fat greek wedding you've had ethnic stories about weddings why did this necessarily need the father of the bride title except just to get more views and that's that's how it gets greenlit no i know and that's kind of where i agree with your content creation viewpoint is like i I don't know i was a little cynical like you just called it father of the bride because you knew more people would watch it Unless you call it something else. This could be the beginning of like the father of the bride like universe. Right. Like it doesn't stop. And then we get another one next year. We get like a just, black father of the bride. All of it. <laughs> yes. We ca- we get um, father of the lesbian bride. You know, like it just keeps growing and growing. Yeah. And then there's like 20 father Yeah, I wouldn't be opposed to that. No, this did like it felt like it was tacking on to father of the bride and and then I also felt a lot of like crazy rich Asians in this. Oh, like yeah. I, I felt uh, like this porn. was crazy rich Cubans. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. yeah. <laughs> just the shot of just like unchecked material wealth. Right. Like we're like the family that's the poorer of the two is like still wealthier than yeah. any of us will ever right. be in our entire lives. <laughs> yeah. That was a little gross. Yeah. It, it was interesting because we watched that right after Scarface mm-hmm. and just seeing like the correlation or the overlap, the like Cuban wealth porn kind of stuff that's an interesting thing to me because like what i'm arguing about (laughs) here is like you know people wanting to get easy marks for like um good representation and like that's all you do and like that's what this movie felt like to me was Mm -hmm. like this checklist of like okay we have this type of character to represent this cultural perspective and then we have this other one and it just goes down the line to get the full spectrum of that life experience and then that's it. That's the whole movie. So I'm gonna I'm gonna bring it back to the Real Housewives for a hot second, <laughs> okay? Yes. Because I think this might impact it. So a big thing that happened this year is, well, I'm, I'm gonna kind of pull it back a little bit. Years ago, like at least like over ten years ago, there was Real Housewives in Miami, and mm. it got canceled after three seasons. And then this year, it got brought back. Because uh, Bravo partnered with Peacock and they brought back the Real Housewives of Miami with like almost like all the original housewives and they're 80% of them are Cuban and they're like stupid rich and they like are in Miami and like it like people were like living for it. I was one of them. I was like, yes, it's back and they're like killing it. So like whenever I watch this, I'm like, oh, it's still that like, you know, heightened like Miami wealth cuban culture that just kept going i don't know i don't know if it was influenced by the real housewives of miami resurgence i don't know they at least seem like messier more human people than like the checkmark archetype characters in this well when i guess it's my okay so if we're, we're doing this like checklist sort of movie that's your like thesis that's the, the that's the way i can put it without sounding like a huge asshole yeah, and i feel like no, i'm already and I, bordering and I don't on that like necessarily <laughs> disagree but like again why call it father of the bride you're tying it to this like white bread steve martin and spencer tracy 
Lineage, like, because just cut it off and make it a new thing if you really wanted it to be this, like, new, fresh representation. Because the argument of the movie being made is that it is good representation. And it's like, we can have things now that, like, would have been a, like, default white perspective decades ago. Yeah. And it's like, it's politically good to remake it with a different cultural perspective. It's good because people will celebrate it online yeah. for a week and then never talk about it again. I'm I gonna keep it. bringing it up, Brandon. You're you're <laughs> I'm cynical. I'm I'm very cynical, but I have to say that's a cynical take. That's not necessarily wrong, <laughs> but I just chose to enjoy this movie because it's fine. It made me laugh. It made me cry. The food looked good. Yeah. and it's I don't know the score to the movie is just these like kind of smooth jazz piano chords in the back and that's what the movie feels like with that one great <laughs> yes. mariachi cover of the daft punk <laughs> which song. is amazing yeah, that's so awesome amazing so that's what it felt like it was just like yeah it's a way to spend two hours i don't know there's worse ways to spend it i liked it <laughs> no and arguably that's all the first two were anyway so it's not like it's like ruining this like pristine series like the 50s one and the 90s one are also kind of disposable fluff I don't know why it's had this cultural impact lasting, but like there's stuff in that nineties one that like, I don't know. It's like Martin short playing this like effeminate German caterer. And it's like, Oh, what? Am I watching really? this? Yeah. Yeah. I've been watching a lot of Jiminy Glick. Lately. It's not good. I, I love Martin short. Really? <laughs> Have that you ever seen great. Clifford? Yes. I like Clifford. That's a one of my favorite movies of all time. But I don't know. I, I feel like I'm also partially responsible for this kind of thing where it's like, I'm watching Scarface and I'm like, this is terrible representation of like Cuban culture. So like, what am I arguing for here? I'm like, you know, I think one thing and James and I kind of talked about this. I think one thing that would have made this movie more interesting is if they if the couple had gotten divorced at the end. Yeah. I don't know. Like, that would have felt progressive. Yeah. Right. At least that is like a true that to me is like a true breakdown of tradition. Like I really don't give a shit if a woman proposes to a man. Like that that is like I mean I know that is significant to a lot of people, but like allowing them to get divorced and realize that their marriage had run its course and like they like that is a like pretty staunch tradition. Like the and the mother her mother even says like you know we don't get divorced. Like, allowing that relationship to crumble and change would have meant something more than just, like, an uh, the rote version of the story from a Cuban perspective. Yeah. And I do think the film doesn't do a good job of giving you enough moments between Billy and Ingrid to feel like there's a chance that it could work out. So at the end, it's like, he does very little... And she's like, oh, yeah, yeah, you're the man I love. We're we're back together. It's because <laughs> right. he said, let's go to Greece. Yeah. Right, let's go to Greece. It's like, like right. totally unearned. Yeah. And yeah, if they would have just amicably broke up, it would have felt more true to the story they told and yeah. actually kind of progressive. And then it would have been like the start of a beautiful sitcom you know, right? where I'd they both it. get remarried, but they all live in the big house That's together. Right. The girlfriend <laughs> who's allergic to shrimp or the wife. I'm yes. sorry, the wife. Um, <laughs> yeah, there's this scene near the end where like she there are problems with the um, rehearsal, I think. And she storms out and he follows her and he, he's like totally come around to her um, a groom to be. 
or husband to be. And he's like, you know, I just wish I could be more like him. And she says, you are like him. You're sensitive and you're supportive and you're like, and it's like, he's shown none of these qualities. Yeah, not seen <laughs> any of that. Yeah. Like, not at all. Like, where is this coming from? Yeah. He really has to do like a very quick about face for anything to make sense. Yeah. I, I don't know. It sounds like Brandon's in the minority. Honestly, if I rank this on letterbox it's not gonna be like two and a half or three stars which is kind of where i'm at on all, a lot of these where it's like that's okay. fine but it's 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 easier for me to be like doomsday cynical about the state of like modern filmmaking with this one because it came out this year yeah yeah and it's yeah. pretty like it is pretty indicative of like most straight to streaming tv and movies right now kind of look and feel like this and i'm like where are the real people give me more of the guy who's afraid of his steering wheel flying <laughs> off <laughs> I truly, anytime he was on screen, I started laughing. Yeah, me too. He, Irrationally, because he just looks yeah, funny. Yes. A, car, a nice car where the steering wheel won't whiff out the window. <laughs> at least he like felt at home on that yacht too, because the yeah. image was so fake and absurd that like him being right. in the movie like actually made sense in that moment. <laughs> oh, yeah. God. His long <laughs> fingers. There's really no smooth transition to the next movie because I feel like I picked the biggest outlier in this group. But it is another 80s update to an older fashion, like old Hollywood film, where like the sex in Postman Always Rings Twice and like the violence in Scarface, um, the, the 80s version of The Blob tried to reinvigorate uh, the original drive-in creature feature by um, really upping the hyper-violence. Oh, boy. And it really does. Uh, it to does. fantastic effect. <laughs> yes. I'd say the 50s blob is about on the same level of fluff as the Father of the Brides. Like, it's not a very good movie. I, I watched it for the first time for this, expecting to really like it, because I like these like alien creature features a lot. Mm-hmm. You can feel them leaving space in between the kill scenes in the 50s one for teens to make out and not, like, miss anything. Yeah. <laughs> like, there's, like, all these, like, effect shots um, thrown in, and there's all these, like, teenage, quote-unquote, characters played by people who look like they're well into their 30s. Cool. Um, including Steve McQueen in one of his earliest roles. Uh, but, like, not a lot really happens in between the kills. Uh, the 80s one we all watched together, and I feel like we had kind of a drive-in movie experience where Absolutely. we were basically squealing and yelling <laughs> at the screen. Of, it was a lot of fun. <laughs> it yeah. was cool. Because it just ups the amount of effect shots that the original one has. Like, It's the same story template where this alien microscopic like threat comes in on like a meteor and then grows and grows and grows by latching onto human beings and other organic material and just becomes a bigger, nastier blob. It's, mm. it's like this like pink, viscous goo yeah. that um, by the end is like kaiju size, but starts like smaller than yeah. the eye can see at the beginning. It looks like you ever use that goo to like clean your car vents where it's like mm. slime and it just picks up dust and crud. Mm. And then like at the end of its use, I have one in my car right now I can show y'all. It's like, and mine's is like pink, but it has like all like crumbs Whoa, and dust. that's so cool. It looks just like the blob. Yeah. That's what it reminded me yeah. of. Yeah, it definitely made me think of like those slime videos on TikTok. Yes. yes. It's like this pale, clear, pink, purple. It's very beautiful, <laughs> actually. And yeah, the effects are like incredible in this version. Like yeah. watching that thing 
fucking destroy the human body at every turn is incredible. Because <laughs> it, it sucks out all your stuff from the yeah, inside. Just, right. And dissolves your skin. There's a well, lot of also, melting. Like, seeing people trapped inside of it, like their faces Half mashed dissolved. Up. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Gnarly and stuff. No one is safe in this yes. either. Like the people you expect to be the heroes die early. That's Women and children like are fair game. It. Right. Like there was no clear protagonist. We're like, oh, I thought that guy yeah. was going to make it to the yeah. end. Oh, and, well. And the dead. shocking, that child death. Oh, there's yeah. a child death that's really cool. Horrific. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And kind of made the movie better. Like, uh-huh. I don't know. I, I was on the edge where I never felt safe. Like every character, yeah. I'm like, I have no exactly. clue when they're going to perish. It made but... it a legit like horror movie yeah. where it's like, yeah, like no one. There's no final girl in right. the blob. Well, there, well. well, there is, but, <laughs> but you don't really know who she is from the beginning. Right. And I think this kind of gets grouped in with a lot of 80s remakes of 50s stuff where like the thing and mm-hmm. the fly in particular get a lot of like love for being better than their originals and like bringing the effects up to date and like the cruelty up to date really like improves their scenarios and i honestly really like the original versions of those movies about on the same par as like their mm-hmm. remakes this one i feel like is a wholesale improvement on the original like the effects are so fucking gross they're so incredibly pulled off like there's not a lot of seams in the special effects really but we knew like when the film started it's like three different kind of title cards of like special effects by yeah visual <laughs> effects by mm-hmm. creature features but you know yeah. by like oh shit here's a connection the guy who was in charge of all the special effects created the helmets for daft punk so Whoa! there's your father of the bridegroom. What? Yeah. Oh, and did man. some other music video stuff. That would have been a crazy yeah. segue. Yeah, you yeah Brandon, pull that to off re-record. From, uh, you got to re-record Daft that. Punk. Through the power of editing, I can make myself sound really on top of things. God, <laughs> you got to do it. <laughs> and then cut this discussion. Right. <laughs> so I don't know. I actually felt like this is like one of the better examples of that crop. It's, it's hard to say it's better than The Thing or The Fly because those are like absolute are classics. classics. Yeah. But I feel like this one deserves to be discussed in the same breath. I, I really loved this, honestly, more than any of the originals or remakes I watched for this episode. Yeah. I thought the 80s blob was kind of like a perfect distillation of like 50s, like Archie and Betty at the drive-in, like wholesomeness, and then 80s, like disgusting nightmare goop. I think The Thing and The Fly both have a lot of psychological darkness in addition to like the incredible special effects. And this is... I really felt like I was on a roller coaster watching the blob. It, the story is just like, you know, there it's like a government experiment that they've they want to use it as a bioweapon, but it and it is kind of important, but the main thing is the blob. It's pure spectacle. Yeah. You know, yeah, the fly and the thing it feels more like high art in a way, and this yeah. feels a little trashier. This is like uh, Toby Hooper did Invaders from Mars. Is like, yeah. I don't know, similar. It feels like Golden Globus should have produced this. I thought this was going to be like cheaper, if yeah. that makes sense. Like I thought it was going to be like a cheesy, cheap B-movie, and oh man, I was just like blown away by like everything, by the blob sucking people's you know insides out and... <laughs> Blowing up a sewer. I mean, all of it. Like, there was just so much intense shit that happened on a massive scale that, like, blew me away. And I do, I do think it added stuff to the original, too. Like, besides just those incredible effects. Like, 
like you were saying the the government conspiracy theory stuff mm-hmm. that's not in the first movie at all like, yeah and that one it just is an alien creature yeah and I guess if you really wanted to like stretch for like some kind of communist invasion fear there, like right. you could attribute something to that. But this has like a post Reagan paranoia about like government agencies yeah. killing their own people. Yeah. And also like at the end, there is foreshadowing that the blob is going to be used for like a religious apocalypse. Like, t- so like I-, I felt like there was an undercurrent in general of like, attempting to harness these like horrific powerful weapons to further like ideological aims in general um and how you know the flaws of man and and thinking that they can possibly do this so i think i think that was kind of interesting but the the forefront was definitely dissolving skin all over the place <laughs> i wonder if there there was like intent to like make a sequel to this just so how it like end ended like it yeah ended it did such... seem like it was teasing something teasing, yeah. yeah and i would like to have seen that to be honest unfortunately yeah. it just didn't make money i a, mean a religious so cult sad. that uses the blob yeah. to i don't know that'd be so cool yeah one thing i was thinking though is like okay we've talked about like the blob and scarface it's like the difference between the 80s and the 40s and 50s is essentially upping the violence it's I mean postman yeah. too. It's just the violence is like done in sex. Right. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And saying that but yeah. making it like nastier. And yeah. Some people not me necessarily, but it is interesting, like, what does that speak about the like direction of culture where like like no one's gonna make an updated version of Robocop to be less violent. Oh, I saw that version of Robocop. It was less violent. It was less violent. Yeah. Really? Yeah. So okay, they kind of sanitized it, made That's it like a PG thirteen, like more accessible version so of RoboCop. It seems like something in the eighties was like eighties horror, action, erotic thrillers yeah. mm-hmm. were particularly nasty. Yeah, and then that does seem to kind of gone away a little bit. And I don't know. I just think that's interesting. I don't know it if is. y'all have any thoughts on that. I mean, I think now the push for anything to get made is to capture as wide of a market as possible Mm -hmm. so like you're not marketing anything to adults specifically because you want teenagers to be able to go to the movies on a friday night and see the new robocop so you have to make it a pg-13 version you have to remove all of the verhoeven touches that make the original like so good good well and i was thinking about a lot of remakes of like you know they did a remake of friday the 13th nightmare on elm street yeah and i remember them all being pretty bad and like halloween all the Halloween stuff that's come out has been pretty disappointing and it all feels like a, yeah, sanitized version of what came out. You're trying to appeal to so many people that it appeals to no one in particular. I guess what I'm looking for in a remake is like, I need to know why you thought there would be something left to explore there other than like people recognize the name brand. Right. Like I need to know what your perspective was, why you remade this, like what you're adding to it. And I guess, like, the blob, like, doesn't really add much to the original besides the effects. But I guess in that kind of a thrill ride, it doesn't really matter because the effects, that is the substance of the film. Yeah. And I guess in The New Father of the Bride, it's the same way. Like, it's supposed to just be cute and funny and, like, charming. And it, it does all those things. Yeah. When it comes to something like Scarface or Postman, I want you to actually, like, have something to say. But apparently Scarface, they have been planning a remake for... At least a decade. 
now. And it's really? just, it, yeah, and it hasn't, I don't think it's gotten made yet. It's in like production hell or whatever, but I don't know how I feel about any of that stuff. Yeah, I wonder what, ver- like, what would be like the culture they would use. Yeah. You know, would it go back to like, because we've done like, you know, Italy, we've done Cuba. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah, what would a 2022 thing? Scarface remake uh, Mexican look like? border crisis racist bullshit, probably. <laughs> Maybe. Probably. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> probably. <laughs> Next week on the show, we're going to talk about a movie James and Brittany have recommended on here before. Uh, the George Romero Monkey Shines from the oh, early yeah. 80s. Love it. Yes. <laughs> Love it. Gonna watch uh. that for the first time. <laughs> oh, you've never seen it. Oh. Love it. So scary. It. Love a helper monkey movie. What would you want to see out of a Monkey Shines remake? How, how would that be worthwhile? Monkey More shi- monkeys. I feel like <laughs> <laughs> five monkeys. Instead of just one killer yeah. monkey, it's like it a whole multi- yeah, a cadre of monkeys. Yeah. I mean, I would want it to be a mix of like Monkey Shines, but then like Planet of the Apes, where the monkey like talks a little bit. <laughs> I, I like that. Yeah. I think I would to make it a modern twist. I would bring in a political aspect of like the help turning against their master. All right. Oh. Like I would that's not really present <laughs> in the original. Um I think there's some like political satire there of like the helper monkey that kills the guy that tells him <laughs> what to said do. Political of like oh like Hillary Clinton made this monkey. <laughs> yeah. I want Dinesh <laughs> D'Souza to do yeah. the new version of Monkey Shines. <laughs> Hillary's America is just right. full of monkeys. <laughs> Rabid monkeys. Yeah. And that is how COVID that, came about with everyone. It, it doesn't need to be remade. It's perfect yeah. the way it is. Yeah. <laughs> That's most stuff. Like, unless you have like a reason to do it, I'm going to be very skeptical. Well, okay. That might be a good final question. What is a movie you would die to see a remake of? Jeezly. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Jeezly. Without a beat. Yeah. <laughs>